Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is one week from, or I should say, one week from today, the Commanders will be in Ashburn, in Mass, starting OTAs. Technically, they hit the field, I think it's the 24th, which is a Tuesday, but the 23rd, they will be out there, will be out there as the media contingent on the 24th to get a look at everybody. But for now, we're still looking ahead to what may be, um, not just for OTAs, but of course for this season to help me discuss that today. Nobody better than the great Rick Doc Walker caught up with Doc uh, to talk about where he where he's at with this team after their offseason moves. Um, what does he think uh, of the draft class? Where is he at with the Terry McLaurin contract situation? Always fun, always energetic time talking to the great Rick Doc Walker. So we'll share that today. In addition, you know I like to talk about the Wizards and the NBA a little bit. This week is the NBA Draft Lottery. The Wizards most likely will end up with the 10th, 11th, or 12th pick, but they do have a 13% chance, basically, to move into the top four. So I spoke with my colleague Eamon Brennan, uh, from The Athletic, who's based here in D.C., does a lot of coverage on Georgetown and Maryland and Virginia, but I got his view of the top prospects in this draft class if Washington were to jump all the way up or, or some other guys that could be in the mix for them in that 10 to 12 range. So a fun conversation there to help uh, everybody get up to speed uh, on the NBA draft as well. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Of course, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, I will have a new article up on the Athletic, I probably, I think, on Monday morning, uh, sort of laying out line this, or outlining the stories, the storylines, going into OTAs. Um, I mentioned the other day I'm going to try to take some time off this week. Um, I still may have another podcast that goes up later in this week. But we'll see about that. In any event, I wanted to get that out, but you can check out the article on The Athletic as well. Um, One thing I will say, not to step too much, to step on that article too much, is, you know, obviously we've all been wondering for a long time, when are they going to start to ramp up with some of their moves? Now, they did, in fairness, sign Trey Turner and Alex Anderson since the draft, but we're, you know, kind of waiting for more, particularly on defense. Ron Rivera has said that, Linebacker is a position they're looking to add. But when he brought this up at the rookie minicamp, he brought it up in terms of depth, like behind, say, a Khalid Hudson, who we mentioned by name, rather than discussing a starter, perhaps. Now, we'll see what happens, but here's what I can sort of say right now based on people I've talked to in my just general sense. My sense is that Washington is looking to add depth, as he indicated, and that move or a, or a, a move if it's linebacker if it's not linebacker could be other positions. I think they're also looking. I've been told for defensive tackle. Um, it wouldn't stun me if they added more help in the secondary. You know, right now if you look at their cornerback situation, you know they've got Benjamin St. Juice and Danny Johnson behind the starters, but you know not too much else there. Could he even add a vet at safety? So I think on defense you could look for some people, but linebacker and defensive tackle are probably, to me, the ones most likely. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see something early this week, maybe even as early as Monday. You know, at the end of the day, camp is opening in a week, or not, you know, OTAs. You got to get going. And, you know, Jack Del Rio talked 
to Julie Donaldson the other day that we, we, we mentioned here. And while his, his explanation was a little bit odd in terms of saying he, there wasn't full participation and he seemed to be talking about the secondary, which doesn't quite make sense other than Landon Collins was uh, banged up, as we know, recovered from his Achilles injury. And Bobby McCain was literally signed on May 14th of last year. So just one year ago, Saturday, whatever it is, if you're going to bring people in, bring them in, get going. Because once camp gets, there's no point in missing any practice time. So anyway, I'm just saying keep an eye out for something Monday or earlier this week of them possibly adding some moves. And defense would be where I would think that would be the case. I feel like on offense, it just in terms of guys competing for the roster, kind of feels like they're largely set. Uh, they did try to claim West West Martin, yes, that West Martin, off waivers when he was released by the Giants. I was told by a couple of sources, but he went to Jaguars, who had the first pick in the waiver claim. So they did at least attempt to add an offensive lineman. But in general, I think you could look at this group and think they're they have enough options. You know, again, we can quibble about a veteran tight end or something like that. But I think by and large, that's the case. So just something to keep an eye on here the beginning of this week. Um, you know, if, if we're talking uh, defensive tackles. Uh, oh, and, and one other thing I, I should just note here. My my sense is while we would like to view it as, you know, who's somebody they can get who could potentially start a linebacker, you know, in a 4-3 base situation or what have you. My my view right now is they are not looking to add on any real salary here, that they may be just looking to add guys on sort of the, the vet minimum. There's a veteran uh, salary benefit where players of like uh, players who've been in the league for more four or more years can get a little bit extra than just the minimum, but it only counts as the minimum on the cap. But I don't know that they're going to be able to get one of the veterans that we talk about. You know, some of the your, your um, Joe Schoberts, uh, your AJ Kleins, your Dante Hightowers, you know, anybody like that um, for that. But it's a buyer's market. We'll see. You know, it all depends on relative to options. So we'll see what happens out there. Just keep that in mind. On the defensive line, Star Latouillet, uh, the former Panther, would be a name to keep an eye on. I've mentioned before that Washington showed some interest in him early in free agency. The timing just didn't apparently work for either side at that moment. So it could be him. But again, if they're looking to go less expensive, then maybe that's not the way to go. Uh there was another I, – I've heard of a couple other defensive linemen that they have shown some interest in. One just recently signed with another team. So, again, keep an eye out for the beginning of this week for them to make a move. But um, we'll see exactly what they do and, and how significant. I'm not expecting it to be too significant, but they need some depth one way or the, or, or the other at a few spots. Um, all right. That's kind of going to be it for me for here at this top of the show. We're going to get to Doc Walker. We'll get to Eamon Brennan. As like I said, and if you want to hit me up on Twitter, of course, with your thoughts, at Ben Standig. Uh, for Doc Walker, of course, it's at Rick Doc Walker. And make sure you check out Doc's Patreon page, uh, patreon.com uh, backslash Doc Walker. And Eamon Brennan is at Eamon Brennan on Twitter. You can, of course, also follow him on Twitter the athletic uh all right let's get to it we'll start with doc walker talking the washington commanders and nba draft lottery with Eamon brennan here on the standard room only podcast all right as promised joining us here on the podcast he needs no introduction it's a great rick doc walker uh doctor appreciate the time there's a schedule out i don't know how much we want to get into that but 
I, it's been a minute since I've had you here. So let me just, first of all, appreciate you being here. And second of all, let's just jump in. At this point, with the, where we are with this team, the, the moves are basically done. What do you think of the Washington Commanders? Well, I'm not disappointed. Um, I'm upbeat based on how I look at building a team. I was pleased with the draft because they gave me speed, um, athleticism. I like off, I'm an O-line, D-line guy, so I got a big guard. I got a long physical uh, deep lineman. I've got a safety to run downhill and break your skull open. Uh, I got a running back remind me of big country. I've got a guy to fit a quarterback that he's a gamer, like a Joe Theismann, the guy I played with. He came out of a quirky system, but as long as you didn't have to play the first couple of months of his career, you may have a shot, but you don't get to pick that. Neither did Taylor Heineke. He had to be thrown in week one because the guy got hurt. So as you know, the uncertainty of the league makes it so this is fun. If you got a talk radio show, but if not, I wouldn't spend a second talking about a schedule or the unforeseen because I just don't believe in it. I believe you build teams through contact, through physical football. And I seem to be on an island by myself. So we'll see. I don't think you can be good in September if you don't scrimmage a professional team. It's just my opinion. Hopefully they can prove me wrong. Yeah, well, I you know, the, all the talk right now is just that. Like, the, the schedule comes out, and everybody says they have the easiest strength of schedule based on last year's results, and even if you tweak it a little bit based on the offseason moves, it's still very high. None of it matters. We have no idea. These guys, you know, the other teams are going to be looking at Washington as a team to beat as well. The one thing you mentioned, though, uh, with, the, with the draft – was the sort of element of toughness that they added across the board on both sides of the ball. That's it. And whether that's that it. was a direct theme or not, I know that's got a, something you've got to uh, 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 like. Oh, you, 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 you have to. Um, you, you know, it's about getting guys that can help you win in September. The schedule, um, the way it fall, fell out, it is what it is. I don't like it because I'd rather open up with a divisional foe. Then I don't have to check with my kids all summer. Hey, are you guys training? Because I know you. if your Philly's coming here, New York or the Cowboys, I don't have to say a word because you know what's going to happen. You'll get your head knocked off your neck if you're not ready. But when you get your relatives and friends saying the Jags suck, you start buying into that crap. And then you got the Lions. It's the worst opponents in my lifetime. You start falling into that crap. That's why now Coach Rivera, and I'm glad he's got his health back because now he's got to be a gorilla pimp. He's got to be the nastiest, snarliest guy in the world. Otherwise, they'll get their heads chopped off. Did you say a gorilla pimp? Gorilla pimp. <laughs> yeah. Go on. I'll get through that in hip hop. Uh, dictionary for you a little bit later on. Okay? I, I, okay. Yeah, you'd be surprised to know I, yeah. I need one of those. Um, let me ask you, I know typically everybody wants to talk about the quarterback. Let me go to the other side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Obviously this group came in last year with a lot of attention with some justification based on how they looked the year before, particularly statistically, but then Mm -hmm. they drop all the way to, you know, bottom five of the league and a lot of the main categories based on that. How surprised are you that as it stands, they're coming back with, with 10 of the 11 starters expected to be back in the starting lineup other than Landon Collins is gone. 
Well, it's not good because they didn't get good results, but they'll be more experienced. Well, then so will their opponents. Every time you praise your club and your respective city, I can go to Jacksonville and, and they'll say the same thing. Everybody's on the men that was below 500. What you need to ask yourself is that until you win 10 or 11 games, in my opinion, you have done nothing but earned your check. You're not a bank robber, but you're definitely going to be not allowed, uh, invited to the banquet. We're underachieving. You're not in the, you haven't won a playoff game since I had hair. <laughs> I, all I'm saying is that let's quit kidding ourselves. This is mediocre at best, and you hope to improve, but the improvement has got to come immediately. And I think there is a sense of urgency with this staff. I can sense it. I mean, I just think that when you got a John Allen as a foundational piece and Terry McLaurin is a foundational piece, you got a chance. Now the question is, what did the staff learn about last year? Are they going to be better at their jobs? And because that's what it's got to do. You know, you got to look at that offensive line coach, mascot, and say, match his results. Because his results are better than everybody else's results. He's had interchangeable parts. It don't matter. He got guards playing tackle. It don't matter. They give you results. So I think it's going to be a big year for Coach Turner if he can get his quarterback to buy into the fact that, hey, Carson, this is it for you, pal. This is it for you as QB1. You either get your stuff together or you're going to be a backup the rest of your career. Yeah, you know, and since you just mentioned Scott Turner and the offense, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I think some people I would say are probably a little bit too harsh on Scott Turner. He's had a hodgepodge at a quarterback since he's been here. And, you know, it's been not he's definitely had a lot less to work with than the other side of the ball. On the other hand, right now, because they made the investment for Carson Wentz, because of how important Wentz is going to be for this season, also for Ron Rivera's tenure, frankly, that there's going to be way more of a spotlight, I think, on Scott Turner this year than there has been the previous two years when he was the young guy kind of learning his way. What's your view of that, the marriage of where Scott Turner is going into year three and this new quarterback who, you know, we've got to, we've got to see what they're going to get out of him. What I said to Coach Turner is this, I go, as he well knows, because his father pulled this off. And by the way, his mother makes the best apple crisp pie, I mean, Almost one of the best in the world. Nice. And Norv is coming here for the OTAs. So I'm going to see if I can sneak in because I just got to see him so I can see if, if I can get just another slice of that pie because Coach Thompson would never allow us to get any of it. He took the whole pie for himself. <laughs> she used to deliver him. So uh, Turner's never on my bad list. I'm going to tell you that right now. But what I said to Scott is that, and he understands this, the relationship that Troy and his dad had, He's got to build that with Carson. And I said this when I, every time I see Coach Turner, I say, I hope he understands this is his last shot at being QB1. Wentz has all the talent in the world. It don't mean squat if he can't fix himself from the head neck up. And so I think their relationship is going to be, be strong. And that's why the weapons were important. That's why it was so important to get him another receiver and to keep him protected because Carson brings an element to this offense we haven't seen. So that's the exciting part about this, which I think will translate to an improved running game. That's why I like we got big country. I'm calling him Stephen Davis because that's what he reminds me of. We need a punishing, 
inside the tackles runner that doesn't fumble the football. That's what we need. So that's why I'm encouraged. That would be a, uh, that would be a good thing. Um, Obviously Carson Wentz is the play is the single player that everybody will focus on, but putting him aside yeah. for the moment, who for you is the guy like, like obviously you could point to Chase Young coming off a disappointing year and coming off the injury. You can point to um, Curtis Samuel, perhaps after he basically didn't you know play. I don't, last I don't count on any of those guys because seeing is believing. I just need this. I need, you know, Smith Williams to take that next step up because he sets an edge. You get, what I'm looking for is Deron Payne to take the next step up and say, I want what John Allen got. I want Dwayne, uh, Deron Payne to take the approach John Allen took. John said, okay, enough of this. I'm going to the Pro Bowl. And he did it. I'm tired of hearing about all the number ones. I need number one production. That's what John Allen gives you. I'm looking for pain right now. They say no more. We're not titter-tottering, bust the damn open because he's got all the talent in the world. So either you got to put him in a position to do it or it's on him. I want more blitzing out of Del Rio and company. And I think now he's got these safeties that are coming. And I think after July one or June one, we might get the old Buffalo nickel back himself. I think it's going to be a lot of veteran movement after, after June one. And we may even pick up a couple more pieces. So I'm optimistic, but I'm not expecting anything from anybody that I haven't already seen. I just need them to tie it together so we get better results. Um, with regards to um, uh, Chase Young, he was disappointing last year purely from a statistical perspective, and then the injury happens and wipes out the second half of his year. But what's so notable to me about last season is they won the four games in a row right at – well, it was the first game Chase got hurt, but then they right. proceeded to win. And it seemed to what from the defensive perspective they were winning – because they seem to be more disciplined, even though the talent was less on the yeah. ends, they were more disciplined. How, what do you What do you think is required, or how do you think they get Chase Young to be both a guy who has all this dynamic talent to be this freaky player while simultaneously staying within the system, thus helping kind of everybody work better together? That's between him and his coach. I mean, they got to get some results. I don't want them talking about him in the media. I want them to talk to him in a coach's meeting and on the field and fix it. And if not, put the other guy in. I mean, y'all act like this dude is Deacon Jones or like you don't want something. You've won nothing with any of them. So I want the John Allen deal. Don't talk about it. Be about it. That's all I'm saying. Go out and get the job done. Create some moves. You can't be a one-trick pony at this level and get results. Ain't nobody scared of him. Ain't nobody scared of none of them but John Allen. That's my point. So all they got to do is take John's lead and they got to get whatever's going on in their meeting room. They got to fix it and get their heads out of the rear ends and get some results so that we can win. Um, one guy who has produced is Terry McLaurin. And obviously there's a big reason why people are like, Hey, you better not, you better keep him. You know, we, don't, don't Brandon Scherf this don't Trent Williams, this keep this guy. But let me ask you, what's your bigger concern that they somehow botch it and don't keep him. Or frankly, he's got McLaurin has a lot of leverage right now. And, the numbers that we're talking about for receivers are getting out of hand. Yeah. Is your bigger concern that they somehow botch this or that they may actually overpay him? Because at some point, like the, the, there has to be a limit to what you're going to spend on anybody. I can only judge him by their pass, which is frightening, which means we'll lose <laughs> it. You know, uh, if I was Terry's people, 
I, I'm giving Carson a minute to look at it. And if not, I'd want to go somewhere else. I'd want to align myself with a quarterback because he's been a contortionist. He's had to twist his body around, make all these great plays. Now I wouldn't mess with this, but he's a, he's a Spartan. This dude is such a pure football player. I would try to fix it, but you can't be the wizards and overpay another guy you can't win with. That's just my opinion. I'm not overpaying anybody to have the record they have. I try to maximize that, get value for him so I could get more pieces and fix my puzzle. Right. Well, that's, I mean, you know, they, they don't have to actually sign him this year because he's still under contract and then they can franchise tag him for the next couple of years if they want. But there is the perception of how's that worked out? Not ideal. No, not that's why you had a guard that wouldn't take $18 million. He gave you the finger. Okay. <laughs> and left. He, but to me, he did you a favor because again, you couldn't win with it. So I'm not paying anybody that let the kid and that just people run over him. And he, oh, no, no, they, he did you a favor. You got people. All we got to do is tie it together and quit killing yourself. Can't turn it over. We got a good return guy now. I mean, the, the good times could be coming here if, in fact, they can stay healthy. By the way, it's crazy. I just realized right now we're talking Friday morning, so the schedule was released last night. Uh-huh. they're playing Jacksonville in week one. And I, I don't think I've heard anybody make the connection that Brandon Sheriff is going to be back here for week one. I didn't like I hadn't, oh, no, I hadn't thought about last it. Last night at the Burgundy gold uh, dinner for coach Gibbs and youth home for tomorrow. It was mentioned the return of Brandon Sheriff and it'll be jokes. It'll be funny, but uh, it, it won't be funny when he and Deron Payne meet again. And that's what it's going to be about. And I am mad at Brandon. I think he did what, what he should do right now go get paid because you either got to win in this league or get paid so he did it i'm not mad at him that's not why we won or lost it's conceptually you can't overpay people and have seven wins that's my point it didn't work i met him i met at nobody we gotta stop rewarding people for failure um, last question for me. Uh, obviously, it's the season is it always comes down to more than just the quarterback, but the quarterback is typically the leading variable. And there's a new guy here. It feels like to me when I look at the situation, barring injuries or whatever, all the other things that for Washington, where they're going to finish in the NFC East will come down to whether Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts is for the Eagles. And if he's closer to Dak Prescott than he is to Daniel Jones, based on where we think those guys are, what do you make of that? And and just Carson Wentz this season. If a guy who was close to being league MVP before an injury can't be better than a second or third year quarterback, who's a runner first, then kiss it goodbye. Cause this whole thing will be blown up. Okay, this has got to work. And if I'm a part of their organization, my whole mantra would be winner take all. Loser will be decapitated. They got to have a sense of urgency. You know, I'm not messing around talking about a three or five year plan. They got one year. It's like, like George Allen. The future is now. It's when now. And if they have that urgency, they got the personnel, in my opinion. They got everything. Just go do it. And stop talking so much about it. Uh, Doc, it's always a pleasure to hear you talk about the Washington team, whatever they're called, the Commanders. Always appreciate it. Um, Hey, Ben, this happened to be a part of your program, man. Now I know that 
that uh, it's a top-rated program in the country. You're the number one guy when it comes to look at the draft. You've defeated Kevin Sheehan. And there's something about that that makes me smile, that you have dethroned the king. And so we say hail to Big Ben. I always appreciate the Doc Walker hype machine coming my way. Doc, appreciate it. Thanks so much for the for the late uh, uh, notice here from me. Anytime, and, uh, we'll man. Talk- and tell your listeners if they want to go hardcore, they can get you on Patreon.com and they can join join the badasses. We take it, we take you down, and we take you hard. I always got to listen to Doc Walker on football. Yeah, go check out his Patreon page. Absolutely, Doc. Appreciate it. We'll talk later, brother. See Peace. All right, as promised, joining us here on the podcast with the NBA Draft Lottery up on Tuesday. You know I like talking about the Wizards for some crazy reason. So here to give us some insight into what is what are some of the options that could be there for the Wizards, whether they uh, move up in the lottery or not. Here is one of our fantastic college basketball writers at The Athletic, Eamon Brennan. Eamon, how are you? Good, Ben. How are you, man? I'm uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I haven't seen you in a minute. The pandemic is partly to blame. I went to zero college basketball games last year, so that's another factor. But uh, you know, it's good. It's good to catch up. Uh, we I see you at Georgetown games and, and all that fun stuff. How yeah. was the uh, How was the college basketball season? It was a fun a, fu- a fun tournament for sure. Oh man, yeah. It was. It was honestly. It was great to be back to normal. I mean, I didn't travel a ton in the season. Part of that is just because of my responsibilities like doing power rankings and bubble watch um, after January tends to, you know, it's kind of tough to fit in meaningful road trips or long extended stays to see coaches or or do features. Um, But part of it also was like, Virginia wasn't very good. You know, they were all right, but they weren't great. Georgetown was obviously a tire fire and there just wasn't a whole lot of reason to get, you know, I went and covered Georgetown Syracuse, which was a fun little like, felt like a um you know everybody going through the motions even though it was some really bad basketball on display like everybody got to go out and and the fans got to get drunk and stuff I went and covered that game and that was kind of fun but but yeah it wasn't a lot of in-person basketball until the tournament which was phenomenal um every site packed out with fans great to see people in person again great to you know go to the final four with colleagues and see everybody I hadn't seen in a couple years so um Obviously, it was in New Orleans, so that was a lot of fun as well. It was just a, it really was a great college basketball season, particularly down the stretch, and very happy for it to be something like back to normal these days. Yeah, back, any sense of back to normal is is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, the Wizards were back to normal this year. By that, I mean kind of on the on, on the periphery of of good teams. They missed the playoffs, <laughs> so they're back into the draft lottery, which is kind of where they're at, and they're also. Uh, per normal, they're at the they're at the back of the lottery, so they don't jump up. They're going to be picking sort of in the 10, 11, 12 range. Um, basically, they've got a, I think it's a 3% chance of getting the first pick, a 13.9% chance, I want to say, of a top four pick, but it's like an 83% chance they're going to be in that 10, 11, 12 range. So I wanted to, uh, uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I, college basketball is not my, go to at this point i'm very unfamiliar with a lot of these players other than the little bit i saw in the tournament and elsewhere and that's why i wanted to bring you in to help educate me and kind of everybody else uh here's my first sense though forget the fact that there's no zion williamson in this class that's so like the must-have guy i don't think that doesn't even seem like there's like a Cade cunningham where there was a lot of hype last year the guy that went first overall to the pistons there are a, several players though that are interesting 
give me, am I reading this right? Is it kind of a draft where there are some interesting players, but there's no one obvious player at the top or is there somebody for you that kind of stands out? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably fair. I think there's at the top of the draft, maybe four or, or five guys that are really like, I think these guys could be all-stars. Um, you know, Chet Holmgren is for anybody who didn't literally see any college basketball is the you know seven foot, seven foot one kid from Gonzaga who um, is, has a body type pretty much unlike anything you've ever seen in, in college hoops um, or probably in the NBA draft. I mean, I think like he has gotten compared to Kevin Durant a lot, but Durant maybe isn't or wasn't at least when he got drafted quite that tall was maybe a little bit more fluid, but nowhere near the the rim protector and, and defender Holmgren could potentially be. Um, he's a really interesting player just in, in like a, I don't know if I've ever seen this guy um, sort of way, which is something I think, you know, maybe that works out in the NBA. Maybe it doesn't, but he's, you know, everybody else, like you've seen them before. Um, Paulo Boncaro from, from Duke is like totally a guy you've seen before. Uh, a very good version of that guy. He's 6'10", can play out to the wing, um, pretty good three-point shooter a year ago, really good interior finisher, really strong for his age and, and for his skill set. Um, and I thought had a really nice freshman year, kind of drove Duke forward in a lot of ways um, on a pretty good Duke team uh, and, and fit their style and I think is is like a, an obvious long-term pro. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's going to be an amazing player. I think he could be a a solid top player, but he's just like going to be a pro for a lot of years. I think Jabari Smith from Auburn is another guy like that. Um, really gifted scorer with his height at 6'10", probably the purest stroke with the exception of AJ Griffin um, in the draft. And, and at that size is obviously really impressive. Keegan Murray, same deal, huge scorer from Iowa last year, um, highly efficient. Basically, you know, Luca Garza was the best offensive player in college basketball the previous year at Iowa. Um, you know, left school, graduated, um, got drafted in like the second round or something because he just basically can't move, <laughs> you know, like he's just not a right. guy who can move at the NBA level. Um, it kind of makes sense why he went second round despite his, you know, like legendarily efficient scoring performances with his volume at the college level. Um, and Keegan Murray came in and kind of replicated it in the same system, but he's a guy that, that with his body looks like he can do that at the pro level. You know what I mean? He's really fluid, can move really well side to side, gets up and down the floor, um, creates his own shot, hits shots off of screens, uh, really, really fluid wing scorer who I think um, should put up, put up points for a long time. And then Purdue's guard, Jay Nivey. I mean, I think he's lit, you know, quote unquote was listed as shooting guard um, for Purdue and played off the ball a fair amount, kind of running off screens and stuff, but he's going to be a ball advancer at the next level, like a ball advancer extraordinaire, sort of a, I get get the ball from whoever rebounded it, take it, dribble very fast up the floor and try and get a layup. And I think he'll be extremely good at doing that. Um, for people who saw him in the tournament only, he didn't play great. He was honestly, he was putrid against St. Peter's in, in the Sweet 16 and is, is maybe the reason Purdue lost that game or at least one of them. Um, but if you go back and watch him throughout the year, he is maybe the fastest player I've ever seen. Like, I don't want to go totally crazy with that. Cause that's a, you know, that's a big shout, but like, I, I can't remember watching a college basketball player look faster and, and sort of almost too fast for the game he was playing in some ways. Um, than Jay Nivey while also having great body control, a good eye for a pass out to the wing. Like, I think he's just going to be a, a really special 
player and, and can maybe improve his shooting a little bit. That's always been the knock, but he was better there last year. And, and I think his mechanic and his style is, is conducive to improving there even more. So it could be a, a really, really good guard for a lot of years. I think those are the guys that are like, these guys are the top of the draft and everybody else is, it has, there's interesting things about them. There's things about them that are either unknowns or that maybe don't make as much sense at that elite level. Um, but I think those five guys, you take, you, you know, you manage to get one of them and I think you probably feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And if you look at um, the big board for, on the athletic, the Sam Vicini, our NBA draft guy has, he has those top five guys seems like in their own tier, seems like Jabari Smith and Holmgren are maybe, slightly separated from Bonchero and Ivy and then uh, Murray there. Um, Just a quick thought on, on, on Holmgren. I mean, I don't know what the wizards would do. Say if they got the first pick, they already have the tall skinny guy and Christoph Porzingis. I mean, he's not that skinny. I mean, Ken Holmgren, I keep joking, makes Otto Porter look fat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I get the Durant comparison and Holmgren. I'd see he did shoot like, you know, 39% from three, but I, I mean, boy, I, I you know this is the, this is the difference now if I'm only watching a handful of games or highlights versus watching game in game out the way you do I watch that guy I'm like wow he's just going to get murdered in the pros and at least Kevin Durant is primarily a three point shooter in a big man's body whereas I thought with Holmgren maybe it was more like a guy who can shoot the three but is still viewed more of of of, of a big man so ha- like I know he got to put on weight but man like that that to me feels like a very big concern yet everybody raves about how talented he is. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that impressed me, that was, that was always the thing that I thought too, seeing him come, you know, before he got to the college level, um, he just looks like he's going to get plowed into the, into the stanchion every time he tries to guard anybody. You know what I mean? Even, even college guys, there's, there's plenty of college guys who are 21, 22, 23. This year, there were a couple 24 and 25 year old guys floating around who are like men and have man strength and have been lifting weights um, you know, for strength and conditioning coaches for five years now. And, you know, you think these guys are going to bury Chet Holmgren under the basket. It didn't really happen. You know, he, he did, he, you know, there were times when he got pushed around a little bit, um, but he's deceptively strong in his core. I think like he's, he look he doesn't look cut or particularly strong, but he's wiry. You know, he's got that kind of like, oh yeah, this guy's still pretty big and hard to move around sort of thing going on for him um even though he isn't he isn't cut up and you can definitely see like a strength uh, you know an mba level um conditioning and, and physical development program kind of you know really trying to build him out and and get him to be a little bit more alive but he's kind of there and, and his you know he's extremely coordinated his touch on the offensive end is great i think the thing that makes him different from durant and obviously a durant is like an all-timer so that's a silly comparison you know regardless I don't know that Chet Holmgren is ever going to be as remotely as good as Kevin Durant. Right. He could still be a very solid NBA player. And I think what, what makes him interesting is that because at his size, while he might not be strong, he moves extremely well and his arms are incredibly long. Um, so he, you know, he blocked a ton of shots this past year. He got uh, a ton of defensive rebounds. He was one of the best defensive rebounders in the country. Um, one of the most efficient offensive players. And that 39% three-point shooting that you that you talked about, came after he started the the season extremely cold and everyone was like oh this guy can't shoot oh i thought this guy was supposed to be able to shoot he can't shoot i think the rest of the way um you know after maybe the first month of the season he shot up where you know up in like the the mid 40s so um he had a slump there but i think the rest of the year was more like what people saw from him at the prep level i think um 
he's not a guy that you would want to see, you know, underneath the rim very much and will probably end up there a fair amount. But if you can, if you can, when he's, you know, starting early in his career, get him playing a little bit more away from the rim, if you can get him guarding longer guys out on the perimeter, um, he's comfortable switching with a lot of stuff. Uh, he did that well. He covers a lot of space on the floor. So even if he gets matched up with a guard, he moves well enough and he's so long that it's not necessarily a mismatch. And he was an elite rim protector. Um, you know, one of the best rim protectors in the country. And, you know, it's a, a what, an, an 18, 19 year old kid who looks like a stick figure, put a little weight on him, put a little, um, a little muscle on him. And you're looking at, like I said, uh, uh, the kind of physical frame and player that we really have not seen before. And those guys don't come around very often, whether that translates into a top professional, we'll see, but he is, he is very intriguing and you can see why franchises would be like, we gotta, if we can figure this guy out, um, we could have like a, a, an every year all-star on our hands. Um, let me ask you this. So if we, if, if I, if the wizards base draft strictly on need, they're kind of, I, I, I was about to say they're loaded in the front court. Okay. That's a, that's a stretch. They have depth <laughs> in the front court. You've got Porzingis, you've got Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, uh, Kyle Kuzma, of course, uh, Daniel Gafford. So they have some guys where they lack it, they lack is on the wing and particularly at point guard is their biggest issue. This I'm looking at the draft. There's like nobody who's listed as a pure point guard. So let's just say they get the third pick. They're somewhere in the top four because maybe if they're one or two, they kind of have to go Jabari Smith or Holmgren. Is Ivy a point guard or is he a guy that's one of these combo guards that you're going to have to figure out and they would just have to see how do they make it work with, with Bradley Beal? Can he be an NBA straight up point guard or is he just I don't want to say just but is he more of a of a combo guard I think he's more of a combo guard I think that <clears throat> I have to pull it up here and actually I have it in front of me yeah I mean so his turnover rate last year wasn't terrible I think that was an issue early in his career um well actually no it wasn't bad he wasn't bad the previous year either I think last year look he had the ball in his hands a lot last year he initiated a lot of offense last year but his offense is I think the, I think the reason he maybe translates as a point guard at the pro level is because of the way the program pro game has changed, right? He's not Chris Paul, right? Or or that that archetype of of guard in any way. Um, he is much more of a, like I said, get the ball, run up the floor, beat everybody up the floor, get into the lane, score. Um, he is perfect for an up tempo style of play. He's perfect for a very spaced out style of play. He's perfect for teams that want to set ball screens uh, kind of in quasi transition 35 feet from the rim, right? Because as soon as he gets by that first defender on the ball screen, he's gone and then he's playing downhill and you might as well, you know, particularly against college defenders, you might as well not even try. Um, he's super hyper athletic, like electrically athletic. And I think he has a good eye for, um, let me collapse the defense. Let me fly in here and let me find, you know, if, if, if people help, then I will find the guy in the corner. And I think you can very easily see him slotting in to um, a certain kind of point guard role for certain kinds of teams. And I think more and more teams in the NBA play point guards like that. You know, there are just very few. Um, okay. Let's slow this down. Let me hit dribble this five times, figure out what we got kind of, like wedge my way in between this ball screen and, and get the defender on my, on my rear. And, you know, all that stuff, like that old man game type point guard stuff is rare and rare in the game now. And I think Ivy is, I, I 
totally get why NBA scouts would look at him and be like, this is what the guard position, call it point guard, call it combo guard, whatever it is, is going to look like from you know now and into the future. So I think he translates as that kind of a point guard. But if people are looking at him being like, is this guy going to run my offense? Is he going to run the show? No, but I just don't know, you know, how many of those guys are out there anymore. And I think, you know, with what the Wizards have already, that's probably okay, right? If if he's not going to have the ball in his hands all the time and all the offense isn't going to run through him, which I presume it wouldn't, um, and you know way more about how the, you know, how the Wizards, excuse me, how the Wizards run their stuff than I do, then, you know, no worries, right? Like let him, let him get up and down the floor, let him push the pace, let him find guys. And, and I think that's where Jaden Ivey, particularly at the beginning of his NBA career is going to, is going to really excel. Yeah. Uh, if the wizards stay the way they've been, the ball will be in Bradley Beal's hands. If you right. listen to what the GM said at the end of the year, or I think I can't remember if it was the GM or the head coach, they said they need a traditional point guard. Okay. But then that's, even if you drafted a rookie point guard, like, you know, is, is that guy really taking the ball at it? Beal's hands I doubt it but then it also doesn't matter because again if I'm looking at this draft it doesn't look like those guys really exist so they may have to address that in free agency yeah yeah I was just gonna say I'm looking up and down the draft board here and I was just racking my brain um at you know when we were kind of talking about in my previous answer like I I don't see a traditional point guard until maybe like Kennedy Chandler um we, all the way down in the second round on, on some of these, on some of these draft boards. I, I don't know where Sam has him. I just have like a generic one pulled up um, before I hopped on the show. Like Ty Ty Washington, I guess is listed as a point guard, but he's, he was a scoring guard last year. I mean, he didn't play any point guards. So, you know, Xavier Wheeler is Kentucky's point guard and he's like traditional point guard, you know, to the max. Um, so yeah, if they're looking to address that in the draft, obviously it depends on where they end up or whatever. But I just I don't think that guy exists. And I think if you're looking for a guard of, of basically an, you know a guy who can who can play guard in the NBA and you have a chance to take Jaden Ivey, I think it would be silly to pass on him, even if you're thinking you need a little bit more tradition at that position. Yeah, Sam has Chandler 29, so not out, you know, far outside the lottery. Yeah. Uh Washington. He's got 15, so that's at least in the mix of that 10, 11, 12 range. Um, so, as I said, he has, Sam sort of has a top five, and then it's players 6 to 17 he seems to have in the same bucket. Some names here, as I just mentioned, uh, and I'm, I'm 100% going to butcher these names. Feel free to correct me. Uh, Benedict Matherin, a wing from Arizona. Is it Shaden Sharp, wing from Kentucky? Mm-hmm. A.J. Griffin Ford from Duke. Jeremy, is it Socon? Sochan? Sohan. Sohan, okay, a forward from Baylor. Uh, I don't know if you, how much you pay attention to the G League elite guys, but D- Dyson Daniels is a guard down there. Malachi Branham, a uh, wing from Ohio State. Johnny Davis, uh, another combo guard from Wisconsin. Uh, I mentioned Washington, and there's some other names there. Any of these guys for you? Forget what the Wizards needs are not. Anybody from here that you kind of eye and say, you know what, if I have a chance to draft this guy at the – 10 to 12 range. That seems like a good play. Anybody kind of jump out to you? Yeah, I think Matherin could be a really good pro. Um, you know, he's he's got the look to him. He's just a sophomore this past year. Um, he'll be 20 um, in his rookie year, I think. And he's a really polished all-around guard with size um, who I think is like, yeah, I think that's a pro I don't know that he's he's not a point guard. Um, he's not a again like 
He's not. I don't. I think he's way less of a wing guard than Jaden Ivey is. I think he's a, a a sort of classical shooting guard in the NBA. Um, Shaden Sharp, I haven't seen because he didn't play for Kentucky, which Kentucky fans will be happy to talk to you about. They took a kid. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. I saw, I saw that he was like came in a lot of hype, and then all of a sudden, just kind of. Well, they took him. He reclassified, and and Cal took him to come um, sit on the bench and practice. And the agreement was like, he's reclassifying so he can come be a part of this. And then he's going to play for us next year, but he also might go to the draft and Kentucky fans were like, well, if he's going to play for us, then we're cool with it. But if he leaves, then we're going to be angry. And he left. So they're angry. Um, although I think he's preserved his eligibility. I'm not positive on that, but I think he has, but yeah, that, you know, if Kentucky hadn't lost to St. Peter's in the first round of the tournament, I don't know that people would have cared as much, but the fact that they did and Shaden Sharp never saw the court um, for various reasons seemed to, uh, to add to the anger. Um, I mean, yeah, none of these guys are like, are like point guards, you know, Johnny Davis, you could maybe see uh, him having the ball in his hands a lot um, at the pro level, but he was really a volume scorer. Um, and he's got big time athleticism. I really like that player, but you know, he, he was not a particularly super efficient. He was a guy who was like, okay, Johnny, um, we've got you and we've got Brad Davison and that's about it, man. So whatever you can conjure up is how far we're going to go this year. I mean, they rode him hard and he had a great year, but, but he was not particularly efficient. I mean, I think he shot like almost sub three 30% from three um, or, or pretty close to it uh, despite taking a lot of, a lot of threes. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that the traditional point guard um, insofar as it still exists in the NBA um, is available in this draft, unless you're talking about guys that convert positions down the line. Um, and I don't see a ton of those. I mean, maybe Malachi Branham, maybe like, I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, Ty Ty Washington, like we mentioned, but I'm not really seeing that if you're drafting for need. I think if you're drafting the best player on the board um, in that tier, then Matherin, maybe AJ Griffin. Again, I haven't seen Sharp, so I don't know, but AJ Griffin is really interesting as a guy who's just like borderline 50% three point shooter in the college level, just lights out. And if that translates to the NBA, and I don't see why it wouldn't with his size and, and his shooting mechanic, then like you are getting a guy who could be one of the best shooters in the NBA, maybe for a long period of time. That's, that's always, you know, as a, just a, if he's nothing more than a floor spacer, he does have a little bit of, a little bit of athleticism to him too. Um, That's a guy who could just be a really solid NBA player for a long time because of his one sort of superpower. But uh, yeah, there isn't a ton there, particularly for a team like we talked about, who's, who's talking about needing a point guard. I don't know that that's something that you can necessarily address in the draft unless you get lucky, get Jaden Ivey, and then you are like willing to accommodate his very, you know, not very, but pretty unique skill set. I think that's the that's the the compromise there. And if you're not willing to make that compromise, they might have to get a point guard in a different way. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it's it's just such. It, I don't know. Like for me, it just becomes such a challenge with college basketball because so many of these guys are so young. And if you're a team like the Wizards, or really almost any team that isn't just strictly at the bottom of the league you need your first round pick to come in and play. And it's asking a lot in many of these cases for these guys to come in and contribute to a team that has playoff aspirations. Obviously the wizards are not a cont- uh, NBA title contender, but they're, they're hoping to be somewhere in the mix of a get a six seed or something. So that, that becomes a challenge is how do you project any of these guys to come in, which 
brings me up a, a different point is that I was looking at Sam's big board. He said that there it's like 280 or so odd players who are in the draft. And that sounds like a lot, but it's actually less than a year ago, which was in his view, I think a sign that the NIL is working from the perspective of keeping guys in school. So I don't know if there were guys who were like, people were surprised that stayed in on the higher level, but I guess just broadly, just sort of a quick, uh, this is a, a full podcast in and of itself. I know, but just quickly, what's your view of that? It's just starting the NIL, but do you sense that there were guys that maybe you thought could have come out that stayed because the NIL is kind of working? Yeah, 100%. And, and um, I think the the two, you know, the biggest example that comes to mind for me is Armando Baycott uh, at North Carolina and Oscar Shibwe at Kentucky. The guy that got every single rebound in the, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the two best rebounders in the country, Shibwe is the, you know, statistically, arguably the best, re, like he was the best offensive rebounder and the best defensive rebounder by rate. And no one ever does that. I think he, I mean, he's arguably, maybe not even arguably the best college basketball, had the best college basketball rebounding season of anybody in the last 40 years. Um, plays at Kentucky, has got his NIL stuff figured out now, doesn't feel the need to go to the NBA draft yet. Um, was probably getting feedback that, look, you, you know, we like you. Well, you know, you're going to get drafted, but there's no guarantees for someone with your offensive skill set. Um, the same was true of, of Armando Baycott, a guy who <clears throat> I believe posted a double double in every single NCAA tournament game uh, and became the first player to ever do that, to, to post a six double doubles in the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously North Carolina lost in the title game. That's a guy who, after that NCAA tournament run, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever it was, no matter what NBA people are telling him or where it looks like he's going to get drafted, which in his case is second round to undrafted. Um, he would have gone anyway. He would have said, my stock is never going to get higher than this. I played great and this is my chance. And now I have to get in there. And there is. Now, now he can come back to North Carolina, make some money, have another season, try and win a national title. And his draft stock may not improve next year, but that's not really the point. The point is he can get paid now without um, forcing himself into a draft that, you know, into, into a league that doesn't really want him or going overseas and kind of taking a risk over there because he's a guy with who doesn't play away from the rim at all and doesn't play above the rim at all. He's just a big, strong, savvy guy who gets a ton of offensive rebounds, finishes around the rim, is a great college basketball center. And that kind of player is not something that the NBA needs right now. Um, you know, again, five, six years ago, he would have forced the issue, would have gone to the draft, would have assumed that this was his chance and he had to take it. And if it didn't work out, then he'd be in, you know, Latvia or something. Um, you know, not the end of the world, banking a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. He's going to make more than that in North Carolina next year, I'm pretty certain. Um, so that is what it has allowed is that, yeah, that number of guys in the draft can come down. Um, I think this is particularly at positions like a true big type of position where, you know, the NBA needs you to be able to play ball screens and down ball screens and get up and down the floor and stretch the floor and handle the ball and, and create shots and all this stuff. And if you can't do that at a 6'10", 6'11", 7-foot guy, um, then you are going to have a tough time getting drafted in, in the modern NBA. I mean, you got a guy as good as Rudy Gobert who gets clowned on Twitter all the time, and he's like one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, he's an outlier in, in his style of play and his role, 
in, in the league these days. And so those kinds of guys specifically in Shibuya and Baycott are the two biggest examples, but there are others out there. I think them being able to get paid at the college level has made it such that they're not in a huge rush to sort of force themselves upon a league that's, that's not interested in them. And I think the upside is that it's going to be good for college basketball. And, and that, that trickles down to all of the positions, trickles down to all kinds of personnel. Um, you know, it used to be the only way to get your family some money was to try and get out there and see what was there for you. And now you don't have to do that. And the, you know, the NCAA and is figuring out how to have, you know, name image and likeness rights. That isn't just straight up inducement to, to transfer somewhere. That's right. kind of what it's been already. And that's a whole other, like you said, kind of a whole other conversation of it in and of itself. But the fundamental net net for me and has kind of, and this is from the beginning before I've even seen how it's played out. It's like, this is going to be good for college basketball. It's going to be more talent on the floor for college basketball, more guys staying in college longer, which is what everybody wants. Um, and I think it's been good. It's going to be really good again next year. All right. Well, good. I mean, look, the, the one and done thing has definitely, I think, been problematic for college basketball. So if more guys stay, I think that's great to help build the re- build the relationship between the player and the and the fan. Like, who are these people? What's their story? You know, was, you know, guys like Tyler Hansborough. I get I get people don't stay two years, let alone four. But watching that player develop over time was part of the the fun. Uh, wouldn't even have to go into the Patrick Ewing era, but just even relatively recent time. I, I guess, I don't know if Tyler Hansborough is recent anymore, but you know what I mean? Um, there's That's that. Of course, the transfer thing is a whole other deal now that these guys are can just w- one year bolt, whether they whether that's because they were a star player up for a mid to low major and they want to go up or they didn't get enough playing time at a big boy school or whatever, which leads me to, of course, some of the local programs. Uh, this is not NBA draft related. This is just me venting related. Uh, this is a, we maybe need to have a longer discussion about this. If we, maybe we'll have our, my, my guy, Bobby Bancroft, he's, he's got a Georgetown podcast solely. Georgetown, like, okay, I'm looking at the list here of the top 100 uh, prospects on Sam's big board. Nowhere on this list is Aminu Muhammad, who was the five-star recruit that Georgetown brought in. He's testing the NBA waters. I'm going to guess he's not going to come back. We'll see. He's not even in the top 100 list. And he was the guy they were banking on. What did they lose their last 21 games last year? A total disaster. I don't even know who's on the team anymore because everybody left. They're bringing in some new people. I think some people were surprised Ewing stayed or Ewing was able to keep this job. Other people are like, well, myself included, are like, they're never firing Patrick Ewing. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to make of this program anymore. It's unbelievable how far it's fallen. Help, help, help anybody out who cares about Georgetown. What? What, what's the hope of this program? Cause right now it is hard for me to see any. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, I think, um, yeah, at anyone who thought that Patrick Ewing would be fired, not that he should be, cause I think he maybe, maybe kind of should be. Um, but, but that he would be just that has no feel or understanding of what Georgetown basketball, how it operates at, at the administrative level, right? Like they, they you're right. They're not going to fire him. Um, unless they've exhausted any and all other opportunities and, and options. And they're the, the path this year that they decided was, Hey man, you got to fix your staff. Um, and so they got Kevin Nickelberry from LSU, a former LSU assistant. He's already landed a couple players, Brandon Murray being the most notable one. Uh, he was a freshman at LSU last year, really talented kid. Um, that's a good get. So that's something. Um, but you know, they've lost Don Carey, who was a decent, decent guard last year, Colin Holloway, 
Well, I was kind of actually interested in the beginning of the year. Had you know, he's, he has good feel, but I don't think he's like a high major player. Um, and and Aminu Muhammad is a guy that that would be really nice for them for them to have back um, because he's a really interesting, unique guy whose main flaws are the kind of things that you think you could work on, like his offense, um, his shooting, and his finishing in and around the rim. Not very good, but his free throw percentage at 72% indicates an ability to shoot a lot better than 39% from two and, and 31% from three, which is what he shot last he, year. He, he made Meanwhile, a lot of interesting plays, but his shooting numbers are just dreadful. If you're looking from an NBA perspective, but when I watch him play, I'm like, okay, I get why people think he could be really good, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of room to grow. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a great rebounder um, or not great, but for, for a six, five freshman right. in college basketball playing in the big East last year, he got a lot of rebounds and um rebounding at that size you know pretty good steals rate like he does a lot of things that i think will translate at an nba level um, particularly on the defensive end of the floor but he needs to develop his game a little bit in some kind of a classic way of like just get in the gym and shoot a bunch um and if he got to like standard average shooting percentages i think he'd be an nba player pretty easily um and in the meantime, a really helpful player for Georgetown to have. So, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with that. But, um, yeah, it's just a mess, man. There, it's it's you know that that NCAA tournament run that they had um, four days in in Madison Square Garden was fun. But without that, you'd be looking at no tournament appearance, and they weren't going to go to the tournament unless they won those those four games in a row. Um, small sample size theater in conference tournaments like that. And they'd be looking at no NCAA tournaments and you'd be looking back through the, through the years that you had James Akinjo playing point guard for Baylor last year, number yeah. one seeded Baylor. Um, you had Mac McClung the year before that being the star player for Texas tech. Um, obviously those are the two sort of foundational pieces of the, of, of the Patrick Ewing era that, that got away, but it's there. They totally speak to the biggest problem that he's had, which is that, He's just been he's he's recruited okay. Um, and the the number of the recruiting classes, if you actually go back and look at them, have been okay, not great, but pretty good for you know relative to Georgetown over the years. Um, they just don't stay. You know, they they get on campus, they don't stay for whatever reason, and um, it has resulted in you know a a team that was that had you know what when they were 13 and 13 out, oh, Kudus Wahab, another great example, goes in place for Maryland. Maryland had a terrible year last year. Wahab didn't help himself at all, but he couldn't be convinced to stay on campus to play for Patrick Ewing. Right. Uh, a a traditional old player. school, an old school center says, I don't want to play for Patrick Ewing. I don't know if that doesn't scream to you, some sort of lack of communication, just something is off. If you can't get that guy to stay. Yeah. And so basically I think anywhere else in the country, any other coach in the country, you lose your last 21 games, you go six and 25, you're 0 and 19 in the big East. You're gone uh, in your fifth year. You know, it's just, that's, it didn't work regrettable. Let's all go our separate ways. Um, I don't, you know, I, it, Georgetown doesn't roll that way. And um, it, it was going to take the, you know, something catastrophic and then something else catastrophic. And so it, it's, it will be really interesting to see what happened, but if, if, Six and 25 is what finally gets the school to tell you, Hey man, you got to switch up your staff a little bit here. You, you know, your assistant coaches need to be 
you need another hire in there. You need some help. We're going to work on your staff and you're going to put out a statement that says we're, we basically told him he has to change his staff. Um, that's the first step, but it's a step that like most athletics programs would have taken two or three years ago. And, um, you know, how long this will go on, depending on how bad they are this year is, is going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. They, for a guy who came in with no college coaching experience, they just seem to let him do what he needed when they should have been had more guidance. But this is of course where Georgetown is as a school. They just, I don't know, the administration just, it's, it's as much on them as it is the coaching staff. In my view, that's a whole other conversation. We'll deal with that some other day. Uh, I've kept you long enough. Go back to your, to, to, to live in your off season. Uh, he's on Twitter at Eamon Brennan, E-A-M-O-N-N Brennan. Uh, dude, I really appreciate it. Hopefully I'll see you in person somewhere along the way and uh we'll, we'll watch the draft lottery on tuesday and uh i'll see what happens awesome buddy i'll talk to you soon yeah man thanks yep bye all right many thanks to uh rick doc walker and Eamon brennan for their time definitely appreciate their insight thanks to everyone of course for always checking out the podcast uh as i said i'm gonna try to take a little bit of time this week but i'll be floating around so we'll we'll see what happens i may have another podcast up this week, depending on what happens, um, but we'll see. But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.